Well, Shabbat Shalom again. Um, we are going to be continuing in our verse-by-verse study of the book of Ruth. And last time I realized, I re-listened to last time I was up here, and I realized at the beginning I was like, I was really hoping to get through the book of Ruth this week, and clearly I didn't, because uh, we only got through 10 verses. But this week, we're going to make it through. We're going to finish out the book of Ruth. Super excited about this. And so um, <clears throat> let's just jump right in and get into things. So last time we were together, we talked about the threshing process. Remember, I had a big old bucket of wheat berries, showed you how much you'd eat in a day and how much weight Ruth would have actually carried after she was done in the field threshing. And we talked about the fact that we've each been given an ephah of grain in which to offer God. However, it's only one lifetime that we're given in which to thresh that grain and to bring it as an offering to him. Our time here is short, and yet the creator would ask us all to do our part to leave the world a better place than when we entered it. This week, we'll be closing out our study in the book of Ruth, and so we we are reminded once again that sometimes living a life of faith or trusting can be hard and uncomfortable. We've seen that Naomi has set the perfect example for us in this. Because remember, this book is about the faith of Naomi, even though it's titled the book of Ruth. She's lost it all. Naomi lost her wealth, her husband, her sons, and she's even lost one daughter-in-law. And yet the only thing she hasn't lost is her faith in God. She went back to the land that she lived left. In fact, her faith has not only grown in this time, but has transferred over or has been imparted to her daughter-in-law, Ruth. So we're going to pick up where we left off last time in Ruth chapter 2, verse 23. So Ruth stayed close to Boaz's female workers, gleaning until both of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest were completed. Meanwhile, she lived with her mother-in-law, Naomi. Now Naomi, her mother-in-law, had said to her, My daughter... I should be seeking a resting place for you, so it may go well for you. Consider this. You have been with the female workers of Boaz, who is our close relative. Look, he will be winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Harvest time's done. It's time to thresh. They've had a bountiful harvest. Uh, Some rabbis drosh out that they had been going through a famine, part of the reason why Naomi and and her husband had left to begin with. But now the famine's over, and God's bounty has been poured out upon the people. And this isn't the first time that we see Naomi look out for the security of Ruth. For in chapter 1, verse 9, if we remember, she said to her daughters-in-law, both of them, after their husbands had passed, May Hashem grant you that you may find security, each of you in the home of your own husband. This shows us that Naomi's character has not changed. She is a righteous woman who has learned to trust in and wait upon the creator for his perfect timing. And she continues to to teach Ruth through this hard time. She says to Ruth, so bathe yourself and apply perfume. Put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man, that is Boaz, until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, take note of the place where he goes and uncover his feet and lie down. And he will tell you what to do. And Ruth answered 
I will do everything you say. So Ruth went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law had said. Up to this moment, Boaz has only seen Ruth working. Hot, sweaty mess, but he's seen her diligence and her work. So we're about to see that her good deeds and righteous conduct were being exemplified in the way in which she provided for her mother-in-law. But now, she's going to approach Boaz with her outward appearance reflecting that of her inward character. So up until this point, she's been a hot, sweaty mess, just working her, her fingers to the bones to provide for her and her mother-in-law. But now, her outward appearance is going to reflect her inward character. We see an example of this put forth to us in the Brich HaDashah in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 24, where it says, The sins of some people are obvious and go ahead of them to judgment, but the sins of others follow afterwards, those secret sins. Likewise, good deeds are obvious, and even when they are not, they can't stay hidden for long. I love how Ruth has set an example for us to follow today. You see, it's our inward character and moral standard that's given to us by his Torah that our creator yearns to see reflected in our lives. This is true beauty. If we look to the left and to the right of the, us today in, in shul, we'll see all kinds of people in here. Some of us are struggling quietly. Some of us are decked out and we look great today. I, I really like this tie that I'm wearing personally. You know, but that doesn't mean we're not struggling. You know, sometimes our outward reflection of what we look like isn't a true reflection of what's going on in our head and in our heart. Sometimes we're struggling. But in this instance, we're seeing the reverse take, pla reverse take place. The true beauty is being reflected out of Ruth. So after Boaz ate, drank, and was in a good mood, he lay down at the far side of the grain pile to sleep. Then Ruth came to the grain pile quietly, uncovered his feet, and laid down. Now in the middle of the night, Boaz was startled and pulled back, and rightly so. And to his surprise, a woman was laying at his feet. Who are you, he asked. And Ruth answered, I am Ruth, your handmaid. Spread the corner of your garment over your handmaid, for you are a goel. It's an awkward situation. I don't know if we need, we need to stop and really reflect on what's going on here. You know, it's not like today where we have constant, um, uh, there's light in the air everywhere from our cities. Like, you, can't, you turn off the lights and they're pitch black, and it's still not completely pitch black. But during a time when, when the lights went out, it was dark. I don't know if you've ever been in a cave, and you turn off the lights, and it's dark. You can feel the darkness. All of a sudden, to feel something running around by your foot or moving would kind of scare you pretty bad. Let's not even talk about the fact that this is a woman. This is an unmarried woman. Some would say this might be a little scandalous. It's at this point that the narrative, we need to stop and we need to be reminded of the role of the Goel in Scripture. Let's turn together to Leviticus, or Vaikra, uh, chapter 25, verse 47. So Leviticus 25, 47 says this. If a foreigner living with you has grown rich 
and a member of your people has become poor and sells himself to the foreigner living with you or to a member of the foreigner's family, he may be redeemed after he has been sold. One of his brothers may redeem him or his uncle or his uncle's son may redeem him or any near relative of his may redeem him. Or if he becomes rich, he may redeem himself. So let's learn a little bit about this role of the Goel. Goel, or translated in a lot of our English translations, the kinsman redeemer, simply means the redeemer. We see this word used throughout scripture many times. And the role can, is actually multifaceted. You see, we have a goel can be a redeemer of property, as we just read in Leviticus chapter 5. Or a redeemer can, a goel can redeem someone from slavery, also uh, Leviticus 25. The goel can also serves as the avenger of, the, of blood, or the goel ha'adam. This we see in Numbers chapter 5 and chapter 35. The fourth role that a goel can play is that of a leverite, a leverite marriage. You see, a goel is a person who, as the nearest relative of someone, is charged with the duty of restoring that person's rights and avenging wrongs, in the case of the avenger of blood, done to him or to her. A goel is a redeemer. It isn't just centered around marriage. In this situation, however, we see Boaz taking the role of the redeemer of property and Leverite marriage via his spreading of his garment over Ruth. So she uncovered his feet and lay down. We don't know how long he slept there. He had a little bit to drink the night before in celebration. He might have been a little bit. But come midnight, he realizes his feet are uncovered. Gets a little chilly. So we have this Leverite marriage, and in this case with Boaz, where he spreads his garment then over, over Ruth. This word uh, garment, excuse me, is the word kanaf, and it means corner or extremity. Quite literally, we, write, we sang some songs this morning. It means wing, wing like a bird's wing, okay? The Hebrew word translated is literally wing. And we see the same word used in Psalm chapter 91, verse 14, which says he, that is God, will cover you with his pinions and under his wings or his kanaf, you will find refuge. His truth is a shield and a protection. Ruth knows what she's asking for. She's asking Boaz to spread his protection over her. She's asking something of Boaz. And Boaz understands what's taking place here. Now, Rashi, Rashi points out that the spreading of the corner of the garment is a token of marriage. For the robe symbolizes the chuppah, or the wedding canopy. We see chuppahs in, in Jewish weddings all the time. There's a special tradition that takes place with that. From this, we see that Bo, Ruth is asking Boaz two, primarily, two primary things. The first is to take her as a bride, and the second is for, her to, for him to produce an offspring for Malon, which is her dead husband, through the Leverite marriage. And Boaz responds to this proposition in an interesting way. So she's not always saying, take me as your wife. She's saying, I need you to produce an offspring that is not yours, 
that will gain inheritance. Boaz says, may you be blessed by Adonai, my daughter. You have made the latter act of loyalty greater than the first by not running after young men, whether rich or poor. Remember, Ruth is a young girl, a young woman. She's already been married once. But she's not old like Boaz. Boaz is old, okay? She's going after an older man. Now, my daughter, do not be afraid. Everything you propose, I will do for you. For everyone in town knows that you are a woman of valor. Although it is true that I am a Goel, there is one who is clo a closer Goel than me. Stay here tonight, and in the morning, if he will be your Goel, good. Let him do so. So this phrase, the latter act of loyalty is greater, is interesting and a little bit muddy when we look at it, the way that it's translated. It's a little unclear. So I love the fact of the way in which the Reuben edition paraphrases and accentuates Boaz's response to Ruth's actions here. It gives us a clearer understanding of the underlying thought process in which Boaz is working through in his mind. So the Reuben edition says this, for a woman in her prime of life to marry a very old man instead of a young one is a great sacrifice. Yet you are doing it only to perpetuate the name of your late husband. This, your latest act of kindness, is even greater than your earlier kindness to your mother-in-law. So Ruth has spent all this time caring for her mother-in-law, and Boaz says, but this act here, the one that you want to produce an offspring for your past husband, is even a greater thing than to take care of your mother-in-law. It's like this is a blessing that lines up with the word of God that is honorable and is beautiful. Ruth has proven her, her worth as a Proverbs 31 woman, a woman of valor, so much so that even within the city gates, the rulers have discussed or been discussing who she is and what she stands for, which is a really interesting topic as well because she's a foreigner. She's a Gentile from another land. And yet the leaders of the city say, hey, this girl's interesting. Look at the way that she's, what she's doing. She's not acting like any Gentile we've ever seen. There's something special about this girl. Now Boaz continues and he says, but if he's not willing to be your Goel, then I will be your Goel myself. As surely as Adonai lives, now lay down until morning. So she laid at his feet until morning, but got up before one person could be distinguished from another. For he had said, do not let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Then he said to her, bring the cloak you are wearing and hold it out. She held it out and he poured six measures of barley into it and put it on her. Then she returned home. Oh, excuse me. Then he returned to town. Now when Ruth came back to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? So Ruth told her all that the man had done for her. She said, he gave me six measures of barley, for he said, you shouldn't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Wait, my daughter, Naomi said, until you find out how the matter turns out, for he will not rest until he has settled the matter today. Imagine how excited Ruth must be. She's going to get married. She's going to be redeemed. And Naomi says, hey, calm down a little bit. Hold on. Wait, don't do anything drastic. Just wait. Because 
Naomi has picked up on a secret message that Boaz has sent her. So Naomi shrewd. She set this whole thing up to begin with. And she picks up on the secret message. And the secret message is this. They were given one day's worth of grain to eat. In other words, Boaz has said, all you need is one day's worth of food because I'm coming for you. That's all they need, one day, and they'll never have to be worried about it again because she'll be redeemed. So meanwhile, Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And all of a sudden, we know there's no coincidences, but I love when the Bible says all of a sudden... The go well about whom Boaz had spoken passed by. Come over here, he called, and sit down here, my friend. So he came over and sat down. Then Boaz took ten of the town's elders and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the goel, Naomi, who has returned from the region of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belongs to our brother Elimelech. Remember, that was her husband who had passed away. So by rightful decree, it now belongs to her. But they're destitute. She has no choice. She has to sell this land. And so now this is what they're discussing. Now, I thought I should inform you, saying, buy it in the presence of these people sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you want to redeem it, to act as a goel, then redeem it. But if, you will not, if it will not be redeemed by your hands, then tell me, because there's no one else in line to redeem it, and I'm the one after you. And so the man said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, oh, oh yeah. On the day that you buy the field from Naomi's hand, you will also acquire Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the deceased, in order to raise up the name of the deceased over his inheritance. So Boaz says, hey, it's kind of not that simple. You can buy the land, you can redeem it, but attached to this land is a woman who needs a levirate marriage. So you're going to have to marry her and create a child. And that inheritance, though it's going to be yours for like a little bit of time, it's ultimately going to go to him. You're not going to get to keep it. And so the kinsman said, then I cannot redeem it for myself or else I might endanger my own inheritance. So this dude's already married. He's like, I can't take on another wife because that's going to cause issues with my inheritance, with my children, and then they're not going to get to get that, and I'm not going to get that, and now I'm stuck with a a goy wife, a Gentile wife that I don't know if I really want. So So he said, you take the right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now in the past in Israel, one removed his sandal and gave it to another in order to finalize the redemption and transfer of a matter. This was a legal transaction in Israel. So the kinsman said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. Then he took off his shoe. That'd be kind of fun if we did that still today. Hey, you bought my house. Here's my shoe. It'd be kind of fun. So Boaz then announced to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses today that I have brought from Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and Malon, the two dead sons. Moreover, I have acquired Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, to be my wife in order to raise up the name of the deceased over his inheritance. So, in this way, that the name of the deceased will not be cut off from his brothers or from the gate of his town. You are all witnesses today. And all the people at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. 
a great cloud of witnesses here. Keep all this in mind because it's all going to come back and it all plays into the greater role of salvation with Messiah in the end. We are witnesses, they said, and may Adonai make the woman who has come into your house like Rachel and like Leah, who both built up the house of Israel. May you prosper in Ephrath and be renowned in Bethlehem. May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah through the seed that Adonai will give you by his young woman. So for those of you who don't know or don't remember, uh, Judah and Tamar, that's the first Leverite marriage we see put forth in Scripture. An interesting point is the only time we see Leverite marriage used in Scripture, it's always with the house of Judah. That's not saying that it doesn't happen in other tribes. But Adonai says, hey, I need you to pay attention to the tribe of Judah, and I've got examples here I'm going to set forth for you on this Leverite marriage. So Perez is the exact descendant of Boaz, and he is the consequence, oh, not the consequence, he is the, the result of a Leverite marriage as well. So it's kind of interesting that Boaz is partaking in this as well, because he wouldn't be here without the Leverite marriage. Another thing I'd like to point out that I saw this morning as I was reading through here is when they say, may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah through the seed that Adonai will give you by this young man? No, this young woman. This goes back to the garden. The seed is a woman. We get getting what's going on here. Adonai setting us up for the ultimate goel to come on the scene from the seed of the woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. Now when he went to her, Adonai enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be Adonai who has not left you without a goel today. May his name be famous throughout Israel. Moreover, he will be with you a renewer of life and a sustainer to your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Now Naomi took the child and held it to her bosom and took care of him. The neighboring women gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. So they called him Obed. And he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Obed means worshiper. Another testament to Naomi's life. This book is about Naomi's faith that her creator would bring Redeemer. Naomi had been through a lot in life. She lost it all, her wealth, her husbands, her sons, her daughter-in-law, and she was on the verge of utter poverty. But she persevered through it all and clung to her faith in the Creator. And it's because of this that we can read the last few verses in the book of Ruth. So these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Ram, Ram fathered Aminadab, Aminadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed followed, fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David, who will be the king of Israel. These final verses set up the lineage of King David and ultimately the Messiah who would come through that lineage. However, 
as we trace out the lineage of David at the end before the southern kingdoms are exiled Jehoiachin will be cursed and will they from that point on will be unable to place a true heir on the throne of Israel so this is not the last time that we see the role of the Goel being played out in the lineage of Judah. This is why in the Brit Hadashah we're given two lineages, one from Jehoiachin, so one through Joseph, and another through Miriam. Because the one through Joseph, it's invalidated. But the one through Miriam's good, but she needs a Goel. So for a thousand years from this point in our history, once again, a goel will come to bring forth an offspring. But this time the goel is none other than the creator of the universe himself. And the offspring he brings forth through a virgin woman is none other than our Messiah, Yeshua. He's not going to simply just redeem a single family from destruction, but he's going to bring deliverance for all of humanity from the curse of death that comes because of our sin. There's a tremendous beauty to be seen in the book of Ruth. For through it, we see the actions of a Jew named Naomi introduce a Gentile named Ruth to her Redeemer. And on the flip side of this, because of the faithful actions of this Gentile, the Jew will also come to know the benefits of that same Redeemer. You see, without the guiding of the Jewish people, as Gentiles, we wouldn't know how to identify with our Messiah and who he is. So because of this, we owe it to the Jewish people to share that same good news back with them. This is an unending, repeating cycle. We're bound together as one commonwealth, different and yet somehow the same. They need us and we need them. And when we're downtrodden, they lift us up. And when they're downtrodden, we lift them up. It goes round and round. And so with that in mind, may we all, Jew and Gentile, one in Messiah, be as Ruth, and prepare ourselves for the returning of our Goel, Yeshua, bathing ourselves in his righteousness and adorning ourselves with the perfume of the good works of his Torah. Shabbat Shalom.